Hey everybody, uh, welcome to Season 2, Episode 2 of Pixel Perfect. I'm Brett Duboff, and you'll hear my co-host Andy Doan very soon. This podcast is where we find out how our guests learned from their mistakes and how that helped them in their creative journeys to where they are now. Today we have on Amy Parker, another fellow Suffolk grad, although Andy and I didn't overlap in her time there. Um, she mentioned something in this show, which you're about to listen to, about thinking of mistakes as risk. And that got me thinking, should I have been using risk or experiments instead of saying mistakes? And it's kind of like twofold. On one, on the one hand, uh, that is really what we mean when we say mistakes. Uh, when I say mistakes, I'm not talking about your classic mistakes like spilling milk or burning yourself on the stove or something like that i mean i mean like using like a different color that you weren't expecting to or um just accidentally discovering a new technique which is pretty much just experimentation or risk um however we at pixel perfect also uh, want to use the word mistakes to destigmatize it because because of all that stuff, we we know that people get scared of the word mistakes and we kind of want to show power to that um, and we find that kind of important. Um, so we want to change the way that people think about mistakes and that is why we will continue to use mistakes when we speak um, in this podcast format. So, um, so A bit about Amy Parker here, uh, on that note. Uh, Amy Parker is the Executive Design Director at Woods Creative. Amy runs Woods, or Woods Creative is in Portland, Maine. Um, It's a studio where she leads creative strategy, ideation, and digital design to make communication solutions, digital products, and visual languages for brands. Amy works in tandem with her research partner, Chris Bransfield, to conduct primary one-on-one interviews for design and user experience research uh, to gain insight, understand nuanced problems, ask questions, and uncover findings to identify form, content, and functional needs. Uh, Amy's current clients hire her for her design work, insights into how a d- visual design elevates products for the people using them and energetic approach through solving challenging business problems with design. Um, a few notable clients Amy has worked with are Pegasystems, Daily Table, Eversana, University of St. Gallen, uh, 240 Strings, John Hancock, Space Gallery, Materialwise, which is a podcast, and we mentioned that on the show, Bank of America, Noble, uh, book biomaterials, uh, Cessna, uh, New Balance, Puma, and Rising Bear Foods. Um, Amy also holds a BFA from the New England School of Art and Design at Suffolk, as I mentioned, and she serves on the board of directors with AIGA Boston, which we also talk about. So without further ado, um, here is Amy Parker. So, uh, welcome, Amy Parker. How are how are you doing? I'm doing great, Brett and Andy. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Amy, for uh, having a chat with us today. Um, we're pretty excited. Um, so, welcome, welcome to Pixel Perfect. Likewise. Um, what? Uh, just wondering, what did you have for breakfast today? What did I have for breakfast? I actually didn't have breakfast. I had uh-huh. coffee. <laughs> Oh, are you, are you hungry right now? Or you think you're going to be okay talking? Yeah, I think I'll be fine. Saturday, Saturdays are a little bit of a, a non breakfast morning. It's a later breakfast morning, you know? I see. So yeah, Yeah. normally I would do the same thing. I would wait a little bit late for later, like around 10 or so. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. Interesting. That's that's <laughs> cool. I uh, actually had breakfast today um, nice. um, before uh, the show. Um, it was simple. Um, we got a donut um, that left over from Donkey Donut yesterday, so nice. that was good. Some fruits. Um, just yeah, got ready for the show today. 
enough sugar, I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. What about you, Brett? Do you have breakfast? Uh, usually I have like some like bread or something, but today I just had like just water. So I'm like Amy where like I don't have caffeine or coffee, but I do have water, which usually just wakes me up. Nice. So, yeah. Um, I'm going to eat a, later after this. We have like, we're going to a local cafe or we have a local cafe as takeout. Um, so that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Keeping yourself um, hydrated. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. So yeah, Amy, um, we, um, we just want to know how are you, how, how have you been doing, um, during the pandemic, um, has it been busy for you in terms of work or how much uh, communication that you have to do with your team? Um, we, yeah, well, why don't you um, tell us a little bit about that? So I think a lot of other studio owners, consultancy owners that are sort of at our scale have experienced similar things that we've experienced, mm -hmm. which is work at the beginning of the pandemic really stopped. It was a pause. It was a, we need to figure things out. We need to reassess our own projects and figure out what to do next. And so we, we experienced that. And then we had all the projects come back because we realized that we could work pretty swiftly digitally and remotely. So we got a lot with clients anyway. And then the projects came back and had the same deadlines. So right. it was, uh, you know, a bit of a, a crush at the end, a, a crunch at the end. So, wow. Yeah. So how did you, uh, yeah, that's kind of exciting. How did you uh, get into the design industry? Uh, I guess we're going to start way back at the beginning. So how did, how did you get into the design industry? That's a really big question. Uh, I, I guess I could start. My interest in visuals actually came from my my grandmother was a fine art uh, teacher in mm -hmm. high school, and my mom was an actor and a uh, she does a lot of textile design and quilting. And my dad was an engineer, so I was always sort of around creativity, making things, sort of being a little bit resourceful. And that kind of sparked an interest in, I think I started really in photography. I, I actually started in high school where we, a friend of mine, a couple friends of mine, we started a band and we needed to make posters for that band. And so I ended up making these really funny kind of rudimentary, really crude posters, like crude in terms of just really uh, formally horrible posters of collage of us, you know, drinking milk on the counter and cutting that person out and putting it on a poster and Xeroxing it and putting it all over the school. And we, it, the, the club that we were part of was called Strictly Music. And so we would just make these posters for, for our band and play house shows and basements. And it was an exposure to why communication matters, why design matters. And so as a graphic design kind of mindset, you're always bringing in photography and typography and color and these formal elements into the work. And it, it usually starts with a subject. And for me, that was music. Mm. Uh, that's interesting. I, we had uh, a guest on last year, Anish, who, like, he said that that's how he also got into it, uh, was, like, through music, or he would, I think he, oh, he was doing a, he was doing a math project, and all of a sudden he started to realize that, uh, like, it was something to do with art as well, so he started to realize, like, oh, this is actually something pretty cool, so it's an interesting, like, journey, or a unique journey, I guess, but it makes sense to, like, combine music with art because I feel like they have some kind of combination together so that's that's kind of cool um, it's all about it's all about storytelling and you know I think with music <clears throat> it's all about what is that narrative if right. there is a narrative I mean not all music has that but in rock and roll there's usually a very simple message that's being put forward and I think that's the right. same with any kind of music poster or anything that's trying to get you to yeah. go to a show to see that story for sure so, so we are, uh, we are fascinated by your journey, um, especially the time when you became in, uh, a part of the AIGA. You were the board of directors member in 2017, and you continue being an active member there, a director as well. 
Uh, we wonder what made you decide to become an AIGA director and what are the foundational goals that you set for yourself in this role and what are the responsibilities for those who don't know? Yeah, I, I think the question is how do you connect to the design community? And AIJ was the answer that enabled us as an initial board to really structure how we wanted to connect to the community, how you want to meet people, how you want to put on programming that helps people understand where the design industry is going. So I was really interested to connect to other folks who wanted to donate their time because it's important to note that everyone who serves on the board, either as a board member or a committee member, it's all volunteer. So we spend hours and hours of our lives just making things so that we help the community understand where the design industry is going, at least in the, in the local Boston community. So it's, it's rewarding for that, for that reason, because you, you do genuinely get to connect with people. Um, like what you're doing right now with this podcast, this is a genuine way of connecting with people. It's the same with programming with AIGA. We also have a podcast at AIGA that we try to do that, but it's, it's, really i guess authentic is kind of a buzzword right now so i don't necessarily mm -hmm. want to use that word but it does feel very real mm, that's interesting because um i know that i did some research um about you um most of the time i looked at your linkedin profile and then i saw a lot of a lot of times that you um you know that you you were a portfolio reviewer and you um perhaps take um, take Suffolk University as an example. You came back to Suffolk, you be um you um you were a part of the um the portfolio um uh, review panel and that just shows me that you um you are willing to give it back to the community, um, especially um, you know, the next generations or those who are in grad school that maybe they they really don't have a sense of where they're going to be yet after school. So I think that's, that's pretty great that you do that. Um, I, I, um, I just want to know how, like being a member of, um, the AIGA, um, how much of how often you feel, oh, this is, I know that I'm doing a good thing to the community and learning a lot, but do you ever feel too much pressure doing that? And how do you often become that feeling? It's actually the opposite of pressure. Okay. It's funny. It's funny. Uh, AIG is a reprieve for a lot of people because uh, I'll tell mm -hmm. you a, a quick story. When I, when I went to my first meeting to kind of assess if I wanted to join the board or not, because mm. uh, it, it is a lot of work, right? It's a lot of volunteer work. But I was going to this meeting and I, I had this immediate gut reaction about, wow, all these people are so genuine. These people mm. really care. They're sort of academic in a sense where they really want to help people understand a lot of what these concepts are that, that are, you know, this is ever-changing design industry. And I think that that genuine feeling was very different from other design circles that I had experienced, right? So the I think the, the community aspect to that has been a reprieve from a mm -hmm. lot of what can be what can be negative sometimes in the design world, which is and it's stressful and it's timely and, and there's a lot of uh, pressures that are put on a designer. So going to AIGA and actually contributing to a community of people that want to be there that is a different feeling than uh, sometimes when you have to work on jobs that are not so pleasant. So I would say it's actually a reprieve and it's a release of kind of positive energy that AIJ provides. Mm -hmm. That's that's super interesting. Um, I also noticed that you um, actually you more um, focused on um, the uh, UX UI aspect of it, right? Um, as a director, um, so. Do, do you learn any of that from from school, from Suffolk in particular, or is that something that you learn along the way and try to improve um, from participating in all these meetings at the AIGA? Yeah, so my exposure to UX was actually working at an agency prior to starting Woods, and we, I actually met my creative partner 
Four Woods, Chris Bransfield, during that time. And we together, him as a researcher and a social scientist, and me as a designer and art director, we kind of used our powers together to say, actually, we need to we need to bring in tech, we need to bring in copy, we need to bring in these big ideas to make a UX, a user experience, actually an experience for the right people. So it's really anchored on understanding the people who you're designing for. And that sounds, it sounds a little pedantic, but it really is, you have to understand your audiences and what they need and how to design for them is really dependent on uncovering the right problems to solve for them through design. So it sort of started there and also, Timing is really important to understand for the UX realm because it, I want to say, depending on the year that you get into it, it's very different. When I was really starting probably in, I don't know, 2011 or so, that the realm of design was really based around, oh, we're, we're, we're bringing big screens to small screens. This new technology of having your iPhone in your pocket, that actually affects how people are behaving and where they are when they're consuming things. So the design problems were very different where we were trying to figure out what is responsive design. That's not really an issue now because we're, we have these standards that we've discovered about how we should be designing always for, for small, medium, and large screens. But now the problems are exactly what we were talking about before, which is, you know, how are we incorporating these, these tools like chat and video all mm. in the same kind of app based on the type of experience you want people to have. But it's really understanding the people. If you don't understand the people, you're sort of shooting in the dark. You're putting, we used to say, we're throwing spaghetti on a wall. And it's really important to to see uh, how specific can you be to design for the right person. Hmm. You know, you really need to understand what those problems are. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I recently just got into the UX design uh, space. I I went to General Assembly last year, um, and it's definitely a like it's something that when I was like learning about graphic design at Suffolk, it was more um, you know more focus on the craft and all that stuff. Whereas for UX design, I found that the focus was more on the people and who this is targeted towards. And it almost makes me wonder that like graph. I feel like graphic design will eventually be that like it should be about the target audience it should be about who you're targeting it towards and not just about the craft and all that stuff not to say the craft isn't important but um yeah i I find i find that interesting there but yeah just yeah just to add to that too i think when you're in design school it is really important to design for yourself Right. I, I want to emphasize that, especially for students listening to this. It's, it is really important to know what are you really passionate about? What are you interested in? Because your work is going to show that. It's going to reflect this like very innate creativity that's within you in mm-hmm. something that you create. And craft has to be part of that. I have seen projects that the craft wasn't so great. And it's like seeing a stain on someone's shirt. It's a little bit distracting. Right. So you don't really look at the work for the whole, you know, the holistic view of what it really is. So craft is incredibly important. I think the next elevation of that is then getting into the UX realm where you're really designing for people. So once you can design for yourself, once you can design for something that you think is really beautiful and unique to your voice, then you can move into something that is for other people because you've already been there. You've already done right. that and you're like, okay, I got that out of my system. Now I can really start to think about other people. Right. Yeah, that, that is a good point. Yeah, that is true. Maybe I just have a different perspective than I, I, I realized. But yeah, that is a good point. But my question was, is like, where do you see like the future of design given that UX design is relatively new compared to graphic design? I think the possibilities are endless right now. We have technologies coming out of locally in in Boston, in MIT, for example. I mean, they were talking, they were making self-driving cars in the 80s, right? There is so much that is happening there. Um, And not only in Boston and other places, you know, other other major cities as well. But I think genomics is going to be a huge thing in the future, being able to actually design people that is going to be a ethically very 
fascinating and challenging thing to get over or to embrace whatever, however it shakes out in the future. I think for designers in particular though, technology aside, well, it's part of technology. I think AR and VR are gonna be a big thing. A lot of a lot of films right now, I'm really fascinated with this 360 view kind of film that you can interact with. It's kind of a, a video game kind of mentality. And I think in the future, the the future movie theater is going to be a movable movie that you can actually partake oh, in. I think cool. that's going to be a really exciting thing for designers to get involved in. How are you making interact interactions that humans can actually touch something mm. and something over here happens in physical space using your body? How is that going to affect the arts? How is that going to affect, you know, dance on stage or something as serious as how are you interpreting you know, like learning about the human body in medical school, like how can these right. types of technologies really influence how we're learning and consuming information? Yeah, that's right. Um, that's so fascinating how the way that you just described the future of <laughs> how um, movie theaters would look like. I just that's just to me is it's super exciting. Um, I, um, from the way that you describe it, uh, in particular, um, and I, I, I just, I just have a feeling that from um, earlier that you mentioned, Amy, um, that um, you got influenced um, from the, um, you know, creative side from your family members, and and you learn all the skills, and um, you know, um, from the very beginning of the making process on the way to the end and you understand about people and all um so and then you talked about a crafting um phase of design um i i just want to know how much because i know that you do a lot of research for sure because from what i can tell that you are a learner you always learn you only adapt new ideas so i just want to know how much time you often spend on um uh, looking out there uh, for new trends and um, often apply those trends to your craft in design. Yeah, I I think so. The anchor at Woods is really that we focus on human behavior. So a lot of the research that we do is primary research. It's not, we do do secondary as well, which you're talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, but the primary research that we do is we talk to people and we uncover what we need to solve with, with those kinds of one-on-one -on -one interviews. Um, and we could talk about a whole podcast episode about what research is, but I won't get into that. In terms of, in terms of secondary research, I'm really fascinated with certain conferences. I try to go to South by Southwest as often as possible. Last year it was canceled or it was, it was, swiftly moved online. This year it's also online, but I hope that next year it'll be in person because a conference like South by is an incredible, it's like this fire hose of what mm -hmm. is happening in the world right now, what's going to happen. And you can just absorb and really take in what you want to take in to help your craft move forward. For me, for me personally, I really like following Amy Webb of the, the Future Today Institute. If you haven't seen her reports right now, just stop what you're doing and go download that report because uh, it, it is amazing of direction into what to do now, what to hold on, what to start thinking about, how to start looking at the future. It really does help you understand a broader context of what businesses are dealing with. Because mm -hmm. business is really fascinating in the, in the respect of how are you looking at masses? How are you looking at massive audiences and changing behaviors through the products and services that you're creating? So looking at those types of tech trends, I think are really important for graphic designers because you'll learn about facial recognition and how does facial recognition actually influence what you're gonna be designing for if you have to design an app for some kind of video camera company. Right. You know, like you can start to make these connections because all creativity really is in a nutshell, is making connections. Connecting the dots, yeah. That's 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 great. Um, so, right, um, I think we're just gonna uh, switch gear a little bit to another uh, topic. Um, and um, we know that you have your design studio with uh, Chris Bransford that you mentioned earlier, your partner. Um, so we, um, 
we are very fascinated about on one of your clients um material wise um it is a podcast um on material matters hosted by nancy fentler um she's a, a principal of fentler pr um a communications firm specializing in materials and including including marketing um so um we actually have a lot of questions about the podcast aspect because we also do in the podcast um but um um perhaps maybe you just briefly talk about your um you know your making of this project um you know how to how did you bring this project into life um perhaps you know um uh, from like planning to emailing guests uh, set scheduling editing and then marketing yeah so you both know podcast yeah. production is incredibly <laughs> it's a, it's a big challenge and i think what the inception of the idea for creating a podcast for our client nancy was how can we embrace the skills that she has right now as a pr professional in this kind of niche space of materials which as a designer is fascinating to me personally like how you know how does cotton relate to you know polyurethane and how is 3d printing connect to down feathers you know there's a lot of these technologies in materials that we wear every single day that are actually very tied together um so we we worked with nancy on a couple of projects just to understand some of the problems to solve from a business standpoint and we said oh you know you have a great voice have you thought about starting a podcast and we had not produced a podcast before but like i said in the beginning my my background in music uh, understanding how music production works it was sort of a natural progression to oh we can of course we can create a podcast so all you need is the right equipment you need you need a couple good mics you need some a good recorder we at first we tried with a we tried an amp um as a connector and we later simplified to a zoom recorder and there's a lot of easy ways to produce a podcast but we kind of go a thousand percent on any project that we take so we made it so that the technology that we were using was high quality technology so that mm -hmm. the, the audio will sound great and you want to listen to it so mm -hmm. we really focused on the branding for that the setting up her website uh, setting up Lipson, which is the, it's, what does it stand for? Liberated syndication, Something which is like basically yeah. just the media channel that makes sure that all of the audio goes to all the different channels it needs to go to. And we had a lot of fun establishing a system in order to, to produce a podcast. And along the way, of course, as designers, uh, using our, our visual communication skills to be able to create all the other kind of marketing aspects of those. Wow, that's, um, I can't imagine, um, because it's a lot of work goes in to produce a podcast. Um, and from your, um, from your story, it took like the whole team of, I don't know, maybe five people to work on this project. Um, so, um, what are the challenges you often see, um, when you worked on a team project like this? Can you be a little bit more specific? What do you mean? In terms of like how um, team members communicate with each other to, um, uh, let's say you want to invite a guest on a show and um, how you're going to reach out to them and mm -hmm. then on, um, you have to do something for that episode in particular, um, especially when you edit it, um, um, how long would that take? And then, you know, like, um, I'm, I, I'm just curious about how much detail that you guys put into producing maybe one episode. Yeah, so we actually don't do that piece of it. So okay. our, our client is the person who does all the writing of the episode, all of the understanding what questions to ask, understanding who to, to bring in she will deal with that piece of it because that's really the meat of oh, the content and and really 
that is the skill that our client has in PR. It's that communication mm, skill. I so see. that's from a, from our perspective as a studio, we're highly collaborative. We're a highly collaborative studio. So mm. that is a welcomed type of collaboration with a, a client. I see. So, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, speaking as someone who does have a podcast here, it, it does take a lot of work from not just like the designing aspect and marketing, but like also making sure the guests are on time and they're understanding and making sure you have a rapport with guests and all that stuff. So it's, it's definitely a lot of work, hard work that we didn't realize at the onset of things, for sure. Uh, speaking, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of which, uh, so the main reason why we even started this podcast to begin with was because um, I I did my thesis project on like learning from your mistakes in a design perspective and stuff. So I wanted to like I have this belief that everyone, every designer has made mistakes. They're not all perfect people. So we ask this to every guest: is uh, share with us your biggest mistake in your design career. And how has that shaped you as a designer? And what lessons did you learn from that experience? So it's the big question here that we have to ask everyone. It's the big conceptual question of exactly. pixel perfect. Exactly. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think you can't be creative without taking risks. For me, I don't really see them as mistakes. I see them as moments of learning. And these risks that you take as a creative person just enable you to be better especially when you're starting out in school, you might be really hesitant to take risks or you could be like me. I was just sort of like all over the place and just like, let's try this, let's try this. Mm -hmm. It's it's sort of, you know, whatever your level of comfort is. But I think if you don't take risks, you're, you're not really embracing what creativity is. Like I said, it's making those connections. If you're not taking a risk, something you don't know, you're not going to be able to make those connections to further your expertise in design, in strategy, in communication art. That is really important to do. So I would say my biggest risk was starting Woods six years ago. And I would absolutely never do it any other way. I think everybody who feels like they need to start a studio absolutely should you should if you have the smallest kernel of this is what i need to do you absolutely should do it because you're only going to discover really amazing things that you become active in your life there's a there's this kind of other side of the coin where you can become very jaded about design because it's difficult and there's a lot of challenges that come along a lot of personalities that come along that you have to always be pivoting and navigating around you have to be comfortable with the fact that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if you are active in your life and you're in control in some respect about your own creative endeavors, it's the exact opposite. And it actually is this cyclical, it's a cycle of positivity. It's a cycle of, oh my gosh, I didn't know that was possible. Now what, what's next? And it, it, it is like this snowball effect of an incredibly positive, amazing life that I think every designer should absolutely pursue. Yeah, I like that uh, transition from it's not really mistakes, it's more like risk and stuff. Like you know that you could mess up, but you're learning from it. And in that sense, it's not really a mistake, it's more of a risk. And you don't have, I assume you don't have regrets in creating your studio so it's uh <laughs> I, li- I like that rephrasing of this question here so that's a that's a good uh answer for yeah sure. yeah absolutely i like that as a lie as well um and just by listening to you talking about it it just makes me feel like oh yeah andy you gotta do more like yeah. you want to go out there yeah. uh, well, make things I, happen yeah i think I think just by you two having this podcast is an amazing ex- ex- execution of that. It is, this is a thing that you didn't know if it was going to work or not, but you're doing it. And that's the best thing. Just do it. Just, right. just literally go out there and try because you, you don't, if you don't try, then you don't know if it's possible. That's yeah, correct. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, 
awesome. That's that's pretty good. And I I feel pretty motivated right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so um, awesome. So now um, we um, move on to the next um, phase of the podcast, which is about advising. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, that you love to give back to. Um, the creative community by being part of the AIGA and also, you know, coming back to um, design school to give feedback to students and all. Um, so, and you also talk a little bit about um, what's creative, your design studio, right? And we um, we just want to know, um, because you about what's creative, you say something about design through concept um, and here and there, we touched base on that part a little bit, but we want to know more about like how how did you come up with this concept, um, and and by running this studio with uh, two leaders, um, what are things that you feel rewarding, uh, and what are things that you feel very challenging, and then how you overcome that. So I think the only thing that is certain is that nothing is certain. And the way to work with clients is to really work through what can be some a starting point for a project and how to move forward from there. A lot of times a client will say, oh, we need this over here. Like a great example is we need a website. Okay, great. With a design through method, which is very similar to design thinking, which we could talk about concepts of design thinking for a whole podcast in itself as well. But think about design through as a way to get to the real core of what we need to solve through design and strategy and making connection strategy to understand how all these things kind of fit together. So with a client that needs a website, we might say, okay, well, what what problem is that solving for you? And then how can you actually reframe the problem? So maybe it's actually a core brand problem. Maybe it is actually a business system problem. Maybe it's your business as a whole. How can you reshape what that problem could actually be so that we're solving the right thing? And this is actually a very UI, UX mindset of what mm. what is this, you know, if you could see my finger kind of going up and down, it's kind of like this wavelength of how the, the, the connections need to come together to solve a problem. So with design through conceptually, it fits with our company, which is about the woods, which is about you go into the woods and the more that you explore, the more is revealed to you. It's finding these paths in the way of we could go this way or that way. I think it all connects through going through the process together. So we're highly collaborative. We're, we're a collaborative model for our clients, with our clients, because we can't solve the right problems for them if we don't understand them as people and then what mm-hmm. they're trying to solve for their clients or their customers and making the connections together. That's cool. that's, that's right. That's, that's awesome. Um, I like how you say that the more you go into the woods um, you explore and the more it reveals itself to you and then you just find more interesting things about it. Um, I, that reminds me of, um, um, I think you I think you said this to us as well, Amy, that the more you know, the more you don't know. So like, if you just keep going into the woods, I think you find more fascinating things in there. Yeah. Um, and. Um, so what, what about the aspect of running was creative with um, with your partner? Um, how 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 do you what do you see as a key factor um, to run a successful design studio in your own time? It's a lot of work. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every, I would say if you're a freelancer and you're doing your own freelance work, you know that running the business side and the operations and the communication mm-hmm. and doing the design work on top of it, that's a lot to do. Mm-hmm. And to do it well, you need to have systems in place that help you really focus on the things that you're very good at and the things that you're not so good at. Just embracing that somebody else is better at that than you. So for for both Chris and I, like we have our own 
we have our own talents and skills. We, we help each other learn about each side of it. So I've learned a ton about social science and human behavior through Grips and even doing interviews myself, talking with people when it's not design work that I created that we're testing because that would be biased. So we're able to, he's able to help me understand more about human behavior and I'm able to help him understand more about visuals and form and function and how the design is a conduit to that communication that we need to, to relay to people. So there's that. We also cross between, you know, he does a lot of the finance work. I do a lot of the operations work. I'm also this like tech team whisperer. I'm the person who's talking to the tech teams to say, hey, what are, what are, what's possible here? How can we embrace this type of design idea to make this happen in real life, to create this magic on, on an experience or a product? So it, it really is, uh, you do, I, I would not be able to do this alone. I really believe in that. Uh, I think that every designer, if you find a partner that you work really well with, embrace it. Don't let go of that person because they're going to be able to, to help you be your best self when you're creating. That's an interesting aspect of it when you're like, if you're, if you are going to run a studio, it's, it's like you have to play along with your strengths of the other people or like, it's like, oh, I'm not so good at this side of things so it makes a lot of things it makes a lot of sense when you think about it of um of just like playing with your strengths and weaknesses so i like that answer as well um mm -hmm. so since you do you are involved in the aiga and um you know you you interview a lot of people uh you're you're probably talking to a lot of younger designers too but i guess and you mentioned this before too but like we also have a question here that we ask every guest is what advice would you give to anyone who is interested in graphic design or even pursuing any other creative endeavor? What would be your first step in that process? I think it's find your community to help you because this is a big endeavor. This is not easy to do. It's why a lot of people don't do it. You know, graphic designers, we tend to talk to ourselves a lot for that community aspect, but many people don't even know what graphic design is. <laughs> the, the, if you talk to any random person on the street, they might be like, oh, like that sign that's there, that logo. Like, but the, the world of design, just think about when you started learning about it and how, how mystic it was. It was like, what is this world? I can actually do this. I can, I can make packaging. I can make posters. I can make these products that are in my pocket right, right. now. <laughs> it's, it's such a vast field. It's like saying, you know, you understand language. Like, what does that mean? It's a huge topic. So for anybody who is starting their own either freelance practice or they do want to start a small consultancy uh, or, or maybe a big one through funding like VC funding. Uh, it, it just is make sure you're finding the right people to help you do that because you cannot do it alone. It, you need, even if it's a freelance position that you're in, make sure you find people to help motivate you, to keep you accountable, to help help you learn learn how to do all these different aspects of being a very holistic designer a holistic designer must understand business you cannot be a successful designer unless you understand business mm. yeah i mean i think we, we've talked about this in previous episodes too about like how there is like this design stuff which is obviously important but then there's the other aspect of like the business side of things where you have to deal with clients and and discussing all that different things and just getting out there in general so um yeah that's a good answer um i so. think practicing speaking as well there's a lot of designers who are really good at the design piece of it and they keep practicing it and that's great and you absolutely yeah. should keep practicing your your formal practice the speaking and presenting piece is integral for people to actually listen to you and tell a good story, you know, find and find speakers who really inspire you that you want to be like. So I love comedians. I think comedians are just, I think the smartest communicators, <laughs> if you find a really good one. Uh, and, you know, 
find those people that really inspire you to be a better speaker. I love Terry Gross on NPR. She is an, an amazing interviewer. Everybody should listen to Terry Gross. I think Michael Barbaro on, on The Daily is just an incredible voice. Oh, you know, these ways of asking questions are, uh, are the ways to get really good stories out of people. And so if you can tell a great story, if it's a pitch, if it's a client presentation, if you're telling a great story about why this design matters and you genuinely believe it, you have to, you have to be able to speak to that and to tell a great story so that they also can understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, that's true too. Like, I feel like a lot of design is communication as well. It's, that's basically what design is. It's just a visual form of communication. So I, I like that idea too. We, we never really had that as advice, but that is important too, of just making sure that you speak well and um, you talk well as well is, is an important part of design. Sure. Yeah, and Great. a way a way that students can do that is if you just take your phone and you you do recordings, do self uh, just a if you take your phone and you do a recording of yourself to speak out loud, just speak aloud and say anything that's on your mind, like a, a surrealist would do, right? Like the mm -hmm. free writing exercise, but mm -hmm. do it through your voice and start to notice. It's cringeworthy to listen to yourself again, but start to notice what your fillers are, how you say um or like or big pauses. It's better to be silent, in other words, than to say um or like, because it's a little bit distracting to the story itself. So the more you practice that in your own time, it doesn't need to be, no one else needs to listen to this. Just practice it in your own time. Practice recording yourself too. See how you actually look in front of a room to own the room, to really be able to present your work. That's really important to practice. I don't think enough people do it. Mm, I totally agree. I'm on board with that. Um, and I think the fact that um, we are doing this podcast, especially for me, it's, it is a, um, a big step um, you know, of uh, getting out there to the world and also listening to myself. And I know for the fact that um, I sometimes I sound, you know, not really uh, clear or sometimes I sound, um, you know, confused. But I think the more I do it, the more I, I, I have a handle of it, I think. It's still, there's still some... Um, um, you know, like there's still some parts that I'm not satisfied with, but um, but I think the way that me doing this myself is it it um, it helps me a lot um, in terms of confidence, in terms of um, connecting to people, and um, um, you know, again putting myself out there. So well, I'm well with that. Confidence yeah. is the key word. Confidence is the key word because if you don't practice, you have no reason to be confident. You're like, well, I'm just kind of right. shooting in the dark. But the more that you practice, the more confident you become. And that actually trickles out to other areas. So not only speaking and presenting your work, but it actually trickles to the work itself. You're able yeah. to say, oh, I can confidently make this decision. I think this is the right way to go. I don't have a ton of time right now. I'm just going to make this decision because I am practiced. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I can see that for myself too. Um, and again, for the fact that um, oh, um, there's an accent in in myself, and I, I notice that as well. But I try to let that go um, and just keep moving forward and praising myself more. Mm -hmm. So I see that more yeah. now. Um, I think you can actually embrace that. I think you say that's a part of your right. your style. I think that that that's is right. an attribute that makes you unique. I think that's an amazing thing. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's Thank true. you so much, Amy. Um, <laughs> I, w I will say on that on that point, Andy, that like, uh, well, first off, you've improved. Like, you know, I li I've literally been your co-host for this entire time, so I'd say you've improved a lot since the first episode. So uh, take that okay. compliment there. And I, I think even for myself, because I'm I also since I edit this podcast, I have to listen to myself and like. Even then, I start to notice that, like, I say, uh, I say, like, I say all these different things, and it's That's so, great. it's like an annoying, still like an annoying part, even of yeah. myself, and I hate listening to my own voice, but I know I have to listen to it just because yeah. it's a, a part of the process, but 
Um, I think I'm getting better at it too as well. So like, I, yeah. I agree that yeah. like just this whole like public speaking is a thing that I have to work on as well. So um, I, I like right. that. Thank you, um, Brad. Yeah. Part, yeah, for sure. That's right. Awesome. Wow, this is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's been really fantastic. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think all of us feel very motivated. Yeah, exactly. And, um, oh my gosh, I don't know. This is today's Saturday, guys. Just don't work too much today. Just take a day off from you. <laughs> so, um, all right, perfect. So I think um, we now can actually move on to um, a conclusion part of the podcast um, because we want to respect the time. Um, so what are your future plans? Do you have any future plans for for yourself um, moving forward as a designer um, or for Woods Creative? Yes, we are actually starting our own podcast for Woods. Exciting. And it's very exciting. It's going to be called, it is called Formative Podcast, and it's going to talk about the intersection of social science, communication, and design. And so TBD on details of that, but we're very excited to do it. My my creative partner, Chris, is an incredible orator. He comes from a speaking background, studied politics, understands how stories are kind of strewn about and then pieced back together in these incredible narratives. So we're really excited to actually put this into practice because what we do for a living is talk to people and then we design for them. And so through the podcast, we do want to show how we actually do this, how we talk to people, because interviewing is really hard to do well and to do it and to have someone engaged in your ear is such a privilege. So we're really excited to do that. That's sort of the next step for us. Well, That's very exciting. Yeah, welcome to the podcasting world, I guess. Thank you. I think I'm going to listen to the podcast yeah, for I'll, sure. I'll, I'll listen to that. Yeah, let us know when that is. Maybe we can promote it on our end as well so that would be a good way of doing that yeah now i think we can actually move on to the the fun part of (laughs) the entire interview um just to end it on a positive note um so it's going to be about rapid fire questions so we have about like 10 questions um to ask you and we're gonna take turn to ask you a question um and um you don't have to, um, you can make it short, long, however you feel yeah, comfortable answering. It's a rapid fire, but it's also. So, like, yeah, mm-hmm. some of them are very deep. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so take, just take your time. If you had to be an animal, what animal would you be? My favorite animal, I think, is a puffin because they're super tiny. I'm a very small person. And they are colorful, they have these beautiful beaks. So, I think I'm a puffin. You always have interesting answers for that question. Uh, what would be your superpower and why? Superpower. I would love to be able to breathe underwater. <laughs> that was the thing. I think that the ocean is amazing and I'm kind of, you know, talk about what you're scared of i'm kind of afraid of seaweed so (laughs) i and it's i it's ironic because i i've gone scuba diving i I have a license to scuba dive so i still am sort of getting used to this idea of being underwater which is not a natural thing for humans but i'd love to be able to breathe underwater to really get comfortable with it Mm. do you dive or go to swim a lot now in maine or is it too cold to do it's cold. I do have a I do have a wetsuit, but it is mm. pretty cold. But there's actually a lot of surfers up here, and I haven't ever gone surfing, so that might be a fun recreational thing to to start to pick up because of you know there's there's actual waves here on uh, Higgins Beach. So nice, nice, nice. I like that. I like your superpower. Um, who was your hero growing up? My hero growing up. Mm-hmm. John Lennon. Uh, I think I think he uh, was he was just an accessible, creative person who I was able to really understand communication and storytelling. And I I love the Beatles. So actually at Suffolk, I took a Beatles class, which I was so excited to take. And uh, yeah, John Lennon really shaped a lot of how I see the world. 
Cool. Nice. What are um, current browser tabs or bookmarks that you always have on or always go to? <laughs> Mine are kind of boring. They're very functional. Like, I actually use this. My home page is a series of links with a app called Toby. I recommend everyone get this because it is it saves so much time, but I've got harvest, which is like a time tracking app that's up and my Gmail and, uh, not, not so fun things. I do, I do have the news, news websites up quite a bit podcasts that are sort of either on my phone or on a, on a browser. So yeah, it's sort of very functional, but also audio is probably the most common for me. Nice. Um, all right, so next question. Um, what is the reason, the most recent book that you have read, or is there any book that you are reading right now that you like a lot and you want to share? I've got it. I am one of these people that I've got a stack of books next to my bed. And I, <laughs> I actually have <laughs> been reading some kind of quirky things recently, but, uh, the book that I would recommend that people read is this book called Snakes and Suits, and it's about sociopaths. And it's really fascinating to hear the, the human behavior trends of how, how people take advantage of other people as sociopaths. You see a lot of common traits. I, I've been really interested in the politics of our of our world, of our mm-hmm. local country, and see and trying to understand those behaviors, really trying to understand like what is motivating people. And so if you understand the psychology of sociopathy, it it does explain a lot about our our uh, past administration. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, uh, so these questions are more like design related, but they're still somewhat silly, I guess. Uh, do you think design can make the world a better place and how so? I think innovation can make the world a better place. I think design is part of innovation. I think you need to have many different minds that have many different niche skills to be able to collaborate together to be able to create a better place. It all comes down to the quality of relationships and being able to collaborate with people and having common goals. So if you can get people to be aligned, if you can have a great leader that uh, that does facilitate that alignment, that's how you make things better. You see problems, like all designers see problems, and you solve for them through the ways that we can solve for them. And if you can get somebody else with a different skill to bring into that solving, it makes it much better. So I think that is a very lofty question, but I do think that things are getting better. If you read Steven Pinker, I mean, just looking at statistics, the world is actually a better place than what it used to be even just 20 years ago. Right. That's, That's awesome. All right. So next question for you. If you had to write only one sentence, about design or any creative endeavor in your own terms, what would it say? Can you repeat that question? Yeah, if you had to write only one sentence to um, designers or any creative uh, people, a person about design in your own terms, what would it say or what would it be? Um, It's more about the follow-up question that's the first one, previous one. Yeah. So I had the, the great privilege to study under Sig Harvey, who's an amazing photographer. And the phrase that she gave to me was this phrase, keep making. I think if we as designers keep making, it will fulfill us personally and also fulfill the needs that we're of the people who were designing for it to me maybe as a mantra it has been the ink the two words that i anchor on every single day if i'm not making one thing in a day i feel a little bit like i'm a little uh like cat without whiskers kind of off balance so i think if if designers can just keep making it doesn't matter if it's great just make something 
that is an incredibly important thing for anyone's practice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then lastly, uh, so this is kind of a long one here. Um, If you had to start your design journey over, what path would you choose? Either you knew all the design hacks and had an ability to change the world with that knowledge, or you wouldn't want to change a single thing and instead embrace all the mistakes you would make and continue moving forward. I think because creativity, again, is about making those connections, you can't be a great creative person unless you have these avenues that do fall flat, avenues that do propel you. I would not trade in for my own personal journey, would not trade in anything. There have been ups and downs, of course, like anybody in their life, but that is incredibly important to make sure that you are continuously learning and you are continuously pressure, you're pressuring what you know, because the things that you might know too, we could talk about biases from our cultural upbringing, right? The things that we think we know actually may not be true. Right. Right. It's those kinds of things that expose you in your, in your own life journey to new ways of thinking are, are priceless. I would not, I would not trade anything. Um, not trade anything. Hmm. Good. Yeah. That that reminds me of, um, a, a new book. Think Again uh, by Adam Grant. I think I have not read it just yet, but I just, you know, keep uh, listening to different podcasts that he was on and oh, yeah. he, he talking about the same thing. Like, you know, think again. You, maybe you're wrong. So just keep rethinking and, um, and making yourself adaptable. I think um, just make yourself a learner. Yeah. And and Adam Grant is an absolutist, right? He he kind of has these hypotheses and then he's like, this is the answer. And he's very, I find him to be fascinating because he just has these absolute positions on things. And then this idea of reshaping that and being, putting your ego down enough to be able to look at that and not judge it, just kind of look at that from over here and say, how could this be different? I think that is what strategic questioning is all about and being able to apply that to your everyday life and really be rationally compassionate towards others to, to understand, to really understand where they're coming from. It takes, that takes a lot of practice to be able to do. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. We did it. Yeah, we did Yay. it. Yeah. Woohoo. Um, so the last question before you, we let you go, um, Amy, where can people find you online? You can find us on Instagram. We're at Woods Creative. And then my personal Instagram is Amy Parker Design. We're also, we've got a website, woodscreative.co, which you're going to redesign soon. And we've got a newsletter that you can sign up for as well. Awesome. Great. Awesome. This is this has been awesome and great. Um, we, Brett and I, we picked the perfect team. Really appreciate your time. Um, it has been a great conversation and I think that we learn a lot um, from this talk. Um, and yeah, we just want to say thank you so much, Amy, for your time again, sharing your experience and design journey and also advice, um, not only to us, but also to everybody who listening who listened to this podcast. Um, so yeah, on behalf of our team, thank you again for coming, Amy. Um, I wish you the best with uh, was creative and your design journey. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, 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 to all creative thoughts out there. How are you guys doing? We just want to say that we very much enjoy our talks with our wonderful and talented guests on the show. And we hope that our listeners, and that's you, will enjoy as well. We're here to listen, take notes, and try to improve. That's it. We are open to any feedback that you might have in order to make our podcast better. So where to look for us? You might wonder. Well, we're on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at Pixel Perfect Talk. Visit our website at pixelperfect.blog or give us a comment after listening to our podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. 
As always, guys, thank you a ton for your support and tuning in. We hope our guest stories will inspire you to pursue your creative calling. And remember, now is the time to design, and it is a time to embrace the mistakes. Until next time, guys. Stay safe and healthy out there. We love you guys. We are Andy and Brad at Pixel Perfect. Signing off.